All right. Matthew 6.33. Probably know this verse well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. Lord, that we could refocus our eyes on you first, Lord. To seek you first. To seek your righteousness, Lord God. And Lord God, you want to bless us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you touch this message, Lord God. Touch your people, Lord. Lead us and guide us along the way, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn to Ezekiel 43. And the title of my sermon is The Return of His Glory. And I'm going to tie that opening text in at the end. But the return of His glory, the return of His glory. Ezekiel 43 says this. Ezekiel was having a vision and there was a person leading him around in his vision. Okay? In Ezekiel 43, chapter 43, verse 1, it says, Then the the man brought me to a gate that was facing east. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. And listen to this, the land was radiating with his glory, radiant with his glory. Who's his glory? The king. His glory and his presence was radiating the land. And he and Ezekiel was watching this happen. Okay? And I almost named this the return of the king. But I'm going to stick with the return of his glory. Because it really is the return of the king that we're watching here. And it says... The vision I saw was just like the vision I'd seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I had seen by the Kibar River and I fell face down. Now see, Ezekiel is living in a period of time where the temple was destroyed. He actually had a vision that the glory was going to depart. It was going to leave. And it was going to be written over the temple a word called Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. When the glory of God departs from you and he departs from me, when his presence leaves us, life leaves us. I mean, when he leaves us, we have no hope when the presence of God leaves us. And Ezekiel had this vision of the presence of God leaving Israel. Like they had so, um, they had done so many things against God and and ignored God so much and not only ignored, but really had even been in rebellion against God. They'd done so many things against God that finally God had warned them over and over that it would happen and then finally had no choice but to pull his presence away from his own temple. And the New Testament says that the fulfillment of that is, they said it says that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when the Lord leaves our temple, the same thing that happened to us is what happened back then. And God wants to put his blessing on us. God wants to put his presence upon us. And he said, just like the vision I seen when the Spirit of God left, 
Now he's prophesying to the people that I see a day when it will return. The return of his glory. And I'm more excited about the return of his glory than I am about it when it left because of judgment. So I'm very excited about the return of God's glory. And it goes on and it says, The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. I just try, you ever put yourself in this situation and you just imagine, what did that look like, that vision? He was watching the glory of the Lord enter into the temple like a man would walk into it. Or like, I don't know what he, how he could see it, but he could see the presence of the Lord walking in, the, going into the temple, just entering the temple. And the glory was filling the temple in his vision. And um, it says, The Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east, and the Spirit lifted me, the Holy Spirit lifted him up, and brought him into the inner court. Now, how is that in a vision? The Spirit of God's lifting you and carrying you and dropping you into the inner court. Spirit enters, the glory enters, Spirit lifts him up, takes him in where the glory just went and drops him in there. This is a pretty awesome vision he has here. How come my dreams aren't that great? I have some great ones, but that's a great one. All right? Lifted me up and threw me in the inner court. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Remember, we're the temple. He's given a vision of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in this temple. All right? While the man was beside, standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. So he just got dropped in there. The glory of the Lord's filling the temple. And he said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne. The place for the soles of my feet. Spirit of God picked him up, put him in his presence in the inner court, and said, this is the place where my throne sits and where the soles of my feet walk. Man, that doesn't grab a hold of you. We're chasing the wrong things. Because he just dropped him in the presence of God in front of his throne where the soles of God's feet walked. The presence of God is, is filled in that room. And that's what I want. And it says, now remember, God has left his country. He's in a period of time where the glory has gone. There's no glory. They've been destroyed. They've been, uh, they're hopeless right now. But he has a vision that the glory will return. He sees this vision very clearly. And and if you can get a vision, if you can get a vision, you'll obtain it. If you can't get a vision, you'll never obtain anything. The Word of God is like a seed. If you don't catch the vision of that seed, you will never obtain the promise. You don't, God just doesn't randomly throw something at you. He gives you a vision of what He wants you to have. And that vision you can never let go. You hold on to it like a bulldog. And you just don't let it go. No matter what the world tries to pull it away, I'm not letting go of this vision of what God has given me about Him. And Ezekiel had a vision. And that vision was the presence of God, the place where His throne was, where His feet walk. And it says, this is where I live among the Israelites forever. Do you know what forever means in the Hebrew? 
forever. It's amazing. Forever. So that means today, there's a place where the soles of his feet walk and where his throne is, and God's Spirit will fill that temple, and that temple is me. Forever. So God is trying to give me and you a vision of a place where his presence is. A place where his glory is, a place where the power of his throne is, and he wants you to have that in your life. But if we don't have a vision for it, we'll never obtain it. Some some of you didn't get excited when I started telling that story, and I'm leaping inside. And what God's going to do, it's not a man-made thing. You can't get excitement on your own. The Spirit of God's got to do a work in this church. He's got to do a work in this church. He's got to make us hungry again for His presence. He's got to make us hungry for His glory. And you say, no, no, I'd just be really happy with a good song service. I'd be real, feel real good happy if you give me a feel-good message and leave. And God is trying to restore a nation that had been wicked and destroyed and away from God, not near God. And he doesn't say, I'm going to raise up beautiful music. He didn't say, I'm going to raise up wonderful preaching. He didn't say, I'm going to raise up a wonderful street ministry and you could preach to the lost and save the lost. God is obsessed with his temple. And that temple is you. And that temple is supposed to be full of his glory and full of his spirit. And we're supposed to love it and we're supposed to desire it and we're supposed to want it. And we're supposed to be eager to be in it. But we sit there and we look and we say, I don't like you. Don't amen that. Supposed to like me. (laughs) But God is trying to tell us that He really wants us to desire His presence. It's a great place, a wonderful place, a beautiful place. There's nowhere in the world like this place. And we just want to go to church on Sunday. We just want to have a good service and a steak dinner when we're done. No, no, I like Mexican. I harp on that every week. Say, Pastor, you seem to be to be a guy that likes a good meal. Why do you give us a hard time? Why do you not just let us go? Because God's Spirit is doing a work in all of us. Me, you. And it's only the Spirit of God that can make a human being desire His presence. It's only the Spirit of God that can make a human being turn away everything because they love His presence so much. And God is doing a work in this body. There is a remnant around the world right now, and they are hungry for His presence. Hungry for His presence. They desire His presence. And then there's a whole world that doesn't that could care less. A whole Christian world that could care less. And God's saying, I am trying to restore my temple. That's my plan for restoring people back in my presence. That's my plan. That temple, whatever they're doing there with that temple, that's his plan. And if we want to be a part of God's plan, we got to figure out, how do I get to this place that Ezekiel's talking about? How can the Spirit drop me into the place where the sole of God's feet walks, where the throne is sitting? How can I find that place? And more importantly, how can I love it? 
Because prayer, I'm going to say it again and again, prayer will not work if it's a job. It won't work if it's a job. It only works if it's a strong, passionate desire, a love, a place of rest, a place where I can go and sit where the soles of his feet are and the throne of his his kingdom is. That's the only way that this will work. Let me go on. It says, While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet. This is where I live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name. Nor they, nor, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution and funeral offerings for the kings at their death, when they place their threshold next to the threshold and the doorpost by my doorposts, only a wall between me and them, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices. So I destroyed them in my anger, and I let them put away their prostitution and funeral offerings and their kings for their kings, and I will live among them forever. Son of man, listen to this. This is important. Describe the temple to the people of Israel. Describe it to them in detail what it's going to look like. He's already planning to rebuild a temple. They've just gotten destroyed. And God's already saying, I want to restore you back. I love you so much, I want you to be restored. I couldn't do anything about what was coming upon you because you hated me. You didn't want anything to do with me. You didn't want my presence. You didn't care about being in my presence. And he said, now... You've been destroyed, but he's making plans to rebuild already. And he's prophesying to him. He says, describe the temple to the people of Israel. What temple? It's been destroyed. It's in ruins. You ever wonder the song we're singing there? No, I just like the tune. It's catchy. The ruins come alive. You know how to sing it, but you don't know how to live it. You know how to sing it, but you don't know how to live it. Because the ruins are still dead. And God's trying to bring the ruins alive. God wants a place for His name. God wants a place for His presence. He wants a people that love His presence and don't just sing the song. It says, the ruins come alive in the shadow of His wings. What is that? Sounds like the temple to me. Being restored. And it says, explain to them, describe the temple to the people, that they may be ashamed because of their sins and let them consider its perfection. Tell them what it looks like. Tell them what's inside of it. Tell them what it's like in there. Because I dropped you in the middle of my glory. You tell them what you've seen. Don't you think he had a few stories he could tell? Ezekiel felt something that was otherworldly. He was in the presence of God. The place was full of the glory. So tell him about it. Describe what it's like in my temple. Describe what the measurements are, exactly what it looked like. Tell him how perfect that place is. And church, if we ever find that place as a church, we'll never want to leave. He'll make us leave. He'll say, you have to leave for a while. You have to go out there and do things for me. And you'll be full of the Spirit of God to do it. But God is going to make us love that place. The Spirit is going to do that work in here. 
And you're like, no, 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 come on. Sunday mornings, I'll be the best Christian you've ever seen on Sunday morning. I will sing those songs with passion like this church has never seen. God's no, no, I want to build the ruins. I want to take the ruined temple and I want it to live again and I want it to be full of my spirit. And it says, explain to them, describe the temple to the people, that they may be ashamed of their sins. Let them consider its perfection. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple. Okay, so if you've made them ashamed and they're truly ashamed, let them know what it was designed for. Let them know exactly how it's designed. Like make them understand what that temple is trying to do in their life. Let them understand that if they'll just follow my prescription, they'll find my room. They'll find a place that they love. They'll find a place where anxiety just can't enter. Anxiety doesn't enter under the shadow of his wings. Fear doesn't enter in the shadow of his wings. Jealousy doesn't enter. Strife doesn't enter. Disunity doesn't enter. There's a place of perfect peace. And you say, Pastor, I feel terrible right now. The more you talk, the matter I get. Because we need to find that place. How do you think they felt when Ezekiel was describing the place? There's a place that we need to go. There's a place that's been purchased for us to be. And he goes on and he says, And if they are ashamed of all they've done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, its whole design and all of its regulations and laws. Write them down so they can maybe faithful to its design and follow its regulations. This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding areas on top of the mountain will be the most holy, such as the law of the temple. And so God is wanting to begin. He's already reaching out and saying, let's restore you as a people. They just collapsed. And so now Jeremiah says, well, you know that temple was there from... 970 when Solomon built it to 586. So almost 400 years that temple stood and it was the most, maybe the most beautiful building that's ever been built. Solomon put a fortune in that. David's literal fortune and the people's fortune went to build that building. Stood almost 400 years. So now it's in ruins. It's gone. It's been plundered. Now Ezekiel comes in and says he's going to rebuild the temple. Well, we're in bondage. Jeremiah comes along. Same period of time. Promises. Promises. Vision. 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 Are you hearing the promises of God? There's a place. And if we'll get a hold of the vision, we'll find it. And Jeremiah is saying, you'll be here specifically 70 years. Daniel says, I'll take that promise. Daniel is fasting for three weeks. The heavenlies are at war. Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, demons are trying to stop his prayers because he knows 
God made a promise and God always keeps his promise. So Daniel is fasting and praying, seeking God. God brings the answer. The people are released from Babylonian bondage. The Persians come in. All right, the Persian uh, military comes in, overthrows their captors, which is Babylon. All right, we still don't have a temple. Isaiah, what do you have to say? Isaiah came around, do my math here, about 150 years before that temple was destroyed. Okay? Think about what happened 150 years ago. He came around 720. Temple was destroyed in 586, so we're going backwards here, B.C. All right, what is that? Somebody do the math for me. 720, 586, about 140 years. 146, thank you. 146 years. What do you remember somebody speaking 146 years ago? Remember anything? A prophecy 146 years ago by Isaiah, God says, I am calling out a king by name. I'm calling his name out so you'll know that I'm God and I'm the real God. His name is Cyrus. And God is going to put in his heart to rebuild my temple. 146 years later, some man that's a king of all the world. Do you know the Persian kingdom at that time was bigger than any kingdom that had ever been on the earth? He called, uh, his title was the King of Kings because uh, his whole um, empire was built on kings in every area and he was the king over the kings. That's how they built their empire. Back in fact, Alexander the Great modeled his whole empire after Cyrus the Great. Cyrus comes in and I want you to get this. You go in the beginning of Ezra and you begin to look at Cyrus, okay? We have a promise. God's people have a promise, right? We're going to rebuild the temple and God's going to do great things. Cyrus, it was in his heart. He was not even a believer, the Bible says. But God moved on his heart to build the temple. He gives them all the money they want. He gives them basically a blank check. Gives them protection. Says, go to your place Build your temple, rule the people like God wants you to rule them, judge them the way you want to judge them, put all your laws in place, rebuild your temple and build your whole society in Jerusalem, go back. You know how many of God's people was willing to go back and build the temple of the Lord? There's over a million people and 50,000 decided to go back. That's a shame. All the resources was given to them, but they were so much into the world, which is what Babylon was, the symbol of the world. They were so much in the world that even though they had every resource from the reigning king of kings on earth at that time, every resource was given to them, all the money was given to them, everything was there to build it, only 50,000 show up to build the temple of the Lord out of a million. That's called the remnant, if you're taking notes. God has raised up a remnant. So they go back in the book of Ezra, chapter 1 through 6, they go back to build the foundation. This is where it gets sad. They go back to build the foundation. They build the altar. The Lord begins sacrificing. They build the foundation. 
You get up to chapter 6, and they're celebrating. They're sacrificing before the Lord. They built the foundation. The foundations have been built. Then all of a sudden, they hit a little bit of... um, they get a little bit of um, uh, turbulence because the people there start persecuting them. In fact, it says that when they realized what they were doing, the enemies of Israel got angry. And so do you know that they stopped for 22 more years? 22 more years. I mean, we're, we're like, nobody worships like us. We're Pentecostal. We're assemblies of God. We're Baptist. We're Methodist. We got so much pride. And God's saying, Yeah, you sing pretty. You sing beautifully. But I can't come near you. That's what he kept saying in Ezekiel. Look at chapter 44. I want to come near you, and the only ones that want to come near me is Zadok and his priesthood. And everyone that they were raising up, these priests, you know, every one of them was Zadok's family. Zadok's family here. And God starts raising up a group of people, and they waited for 22 years. Then God sends in Haggai, who's a 70, 80-year-old man, and Zechariah, who's a real young man. And the Spirit of God moved upon the prophets. They said, you must rebuild this house. You must rebuild this house. You must rebuild this house. Haggai comes in, and what's Haggai say? What is the evil thing that these people are doing? Haggai chapter 1. They built the foundation. Foundation sat there for 20 plus years. And all of a sudden, they just stop. They get a little bit of a... Push back from, how many know when we start building the presence of God in this house, when people start really getting close to God and get into His presence, the world's not going to like it. We're going to have all kinds of problems. You know they had false accusations against their leaders? You know they had assassination attempts against their leaders? You know there was all kinds of people that came up out against their leaders? And God was saying... They can't stop you. But the people stopped. That all these promises, all these resources, they stopped. Haggai comes along and he says, hey, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, what's really funny is every time they come back and they try to give you a date, it's a new king. That tells you it's a long period of time. They already went from Cyrus to Darius, okay? So here they are with Darius as king. Second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel. Zerubbabel is the only guy, he's the governor that was appointed by the king of kings. So the king of kings in Persia appointed him as the leader over Judah and Jerusalem, Zerubbabel. He's the only guy in the genealogy of Jesus that's in his mother's line and his father's line. He's also in the line of David. So he stirs up Zerubbabel, and he stirs up Joshua, the son of Josadak, who's, uh, who's basically from the line of Zadok, who I preached about last week, godly high priest. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild God's house. People are saying it's not time. i got a lot of things to do. 
I got a lot of things in this world I want to do, and I'll give God what's left. Not time to rebuild. But what is the bad thing that they were doing? Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, and he said, Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? There's what they're doing. They were actually even taking the materials that was set aside those 20 plus years to build the house of God, and they were using them on their houses. They took that cedar that was specifically cut 20 years ago, was sitting there to go in the temple of the Lord, and they were like, well, temple's not using it, so cedar? <laughs> yeah, cedar would be great in my house. The bugs don't like cedar, you know, and it'd be beautiful cedar. Oh, look at it. It's a waste. It's a waste that it's sitting in the house of God, and that could be in my house. You say, well, I don't do that. Because if you had a pile of cedar, I certainly wouldn't take it. We throw away a lot in this life. God wants us to be in his presence. And you say, no, let me trade that. I want to trade for, let me give a lot of money. Let me, uh, let me do something else so I can earn what God's given me. No, no, God wants you. He wants to know you. He wants you in his presence. And these people were taking what was meant to be given to God and were building their houses. And God was saying, man, you have beautiful houses. That beautiful house. There's nothing wrong with having a beautiful house. God's not saying I hate people with beautiful houses. He's saying it's okay to have a beautiful house. What he's trying to say is, what good is your beautiful house if the Spirit of God doesn't fill it? So we got beautiful houses. We got all this stuff we're doing away from the house of God, and the house of God lies in ruins. You say, well, let's make it look nicer around here. I'm not talking about how this place looks. I'm really happy. I'm excited to be re, you know, renovating all these areas of this building. But anybody that knows me, anybody that talks to me, that prayer room is what I'm excited about. You say, is it special? Is the glory of God there? Is that the real tabernacle? Is that the real temple, Chad? No, it's a training ground to teach you where the real one's at. You say, but I already know how, then why aren't you there? I already know all about it, Chad. That's your problem. You know everything. That's why God can't reach you because you know everything. I know very little. You say, well, you're not very well educated, Chad. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy that I'm not because I'm ahead of you. Because it's the foolish things of this world that confounds the wise. God wants people. He was looking for people like Gideon. He said, go find the 300 that lap at the water like a dog. They'll win the war for you. This message, can I tell you something? This message I preached, this was my first message I preached to my youth group at Cornerstone years ago. You say, man, that's an ambitious sermon for a youth group. You know, that youth group ended up for the next three years would spend time in God's presence for hours and hours and hours and hours. They'd spend time in God's presence. And I felt like I finally got a group that really wants to go after God. And man, I was so happy. 
We'd sit in God's presence and some would prophesy and some would operate in the gifts. And God took a group of eight kids and the revival in that group was incredible. And I thought it'd continue forever and forever and forever. And for some reason it didn't. There was a space of time, but I never lost my hunger. I went to my next church and I'm going to be honest with you, I thought the same thing would happen. I thought I'd have a group of people that were hungry for God's presence and knew what it meant to dig into God's presence and love it, and they had no interest. They had no interest. It was all programs, and it was all, you know, well, socially, what are we going to do? And what are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? And I was lost. And you know what? I'm starting to find people around me again who are hungry for the presence of God, hungry for seeking the glory of God again. And I'm starting to feel people that don't care what the rest of the world thinks. All they care about is getting in God's presence and restoring that temple where God can begin to move on this church. God can begin to speak to this church. And so Haggai began to cry out. Listen to this. Let me keep reading in here. I shouldn't read so much, but I am. It says, this is what, let's see. It says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be very little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house. It remains a ruin. Well, each of you are busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and the, everything on the ground produces, and all the people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, the people feared the Lord. Now here's what's interesting. They build the temple of the Lord, and this is predictable. What happens? They build the temple of the Lord. The enemy's angry. Enemy comes in again, angry. And as the enemy comes in, how long do you think the stall was here? From his, from Ezra chapter 6 to Ezra chapter 7, a lot of people don't realize it's 60 years. 60 years. So they build the foundation, they build the temple, the enemy comes in and attacks them, they quit again. They have no vision. They quit and they say, well, it just wasn't meant to be. 60 years. Church, I don't want to go my whole lifetime and not have revival in my life. I don't want to go my whole lifetime without the presence of the God, presence of God filling this house. I want God, I want to, I want to have a church that's on fire for God. I want a church that knows the presence of God. I want a church that seeks God and gets in His presence and dwells in His presence and loves His presence. I don't want to go to a church that's a social powerhouse. We've had enough of that. I'm sick of it. We've had enough churches that have marketing programs, enough churches that count the people that are there and brag about how many are there. I care about the presence of God. I care about seeking God. I don't care how much you like me. I don't care how much you put in the offering plate. 
I don't care about any of those things. I care about us getting full of the Spirit of God. And you say, well, you won't have any money. You get full of the Spirit of God, I'll be giving it back to you. You get full of the Spirit of God and quit building your own house. I'll have so much money. I'll say, quit giving it to me. You know how I know? Because every time the Spirit of God moved in the Bible, they were giving their money back because there was too much money. And I don't care about money. I'm not up here and trying to figure out how much money you're putting in the offering plate. I'm trying to figure out how much you're excited about building this house. And it's not a physical building. It's a house where the Spirit of God is. I want to see people that are hungry again. People that aren't afraid to be hungry for God again and to seek God. And put Him above everything else. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything will be added to your house. But we seek everything else and we wonder why God's spirit is not moving in this house. We seek everything else and we give him Sunday. We seek everything else and we said, I'll give you your song and your dance on Sunday. And God's saying, there's so much more that I want to do in this house. So much more. 60 years. That place sat on that foundation and that temple and they didn't finish. And so God raised up, actually God raised up Ezra to come in. And Ezra and his small group of a hundred and some odd men came in and they began to turn the people's hearts back to God. And they were saying, they were saying, God, and they they began to say, we need to be separated. We need to be sanctified. We need to, we came here as a remnant to see the glory of God in this place. Why are we mixing with the world? So Ezra came in and, he, and, and Ezra was so disturbed by their mixing with the world. He pulled his, pulled his beard out and his hair out and he just was distressed and he was crying out to God and he said, God, how can this be? God, I'm so sorry that we made it this, God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he began to repent. And uh, Ezra began to turn the people's hearts back to God. And you're saying to yourself, man, I thought this was going to be five points about how I can be richer. I'll give you one point. That's simpler than that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he'll add to you. He will add whatever you need in your life, he will add to you abundantly. If you'll seek him first, his first priority. And that was the message Ezra had. First priority is the presence of God. And then Ezra comes along in 12 more years. They, they wasted, I figured the math, 97 years. God wanted to do it all at one time. They had all the resources to do it. They wasted 97 years because they were so in love with the world. 97 years because they were so afraid of the enemy. 97 years because they couldn't trust God and couldn't trust the leaders. 97 years. You say, well, that doesn't happen around our parts. We're just always in revival. Some places are always in revival. They understand. Some places aren't. So Nehemiah comes along 12 years later to finally finish what God started 97 years before. That's how hard it is for God to do something in his house. 97 years. And now they're getting the, get this, after the 60 year period, 
they had to actually go back to another city and go through the ancient archives to see that Cyrus had originally gave them everything they needed to build the temple. Then when the king, 60 years later, found out, he says, I'll give you anything you want now, rebuild it. I mean, they had money out their ears, they just had no desire for God's presence. So Nehemiah comes along, and I want you to listen to Nehemiah. I want you to listen to the will of these people. It says in chapter 4, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the walls around the temple, the temple was built, foundation was built. It just wasn't protected. You know, you could attack these leaders out in the open and you could just take them right out. You could attack this church easily and we'd be praying for the enemy. Because the only protection we have is the hand of God through prayer. I mean, know that. If we're a praying church, that's the walls that are around our church. We're the temple. All right, we're the temple, but the walls are prayer. It's protection over your family. Remember God said, if I could just find somebody who will stand in the opening of the wall. If I could just find somebody that can protect the breaches, the places that are open, the places where the enemy can attack. And what God's calling us to do is build a wall around this church through prayer and in unity where God can't attack our leaders anymore. Where God can't attack our sheep anymore, or where the enemy can't attack our sheep, where the enemy can't attack our leaders, God's not attacking us. Understand that. Before I go any further, He's not attacking our, our church. All right. Good. <laughs> so, God wants to build protection around this church. God wants to begin to move in this church. God wants to begin to, you say, does he want to win the loss? God wants to win the loss, but he can't do it till we get in his presence. He can't do it till he changes this church. He can't do it until we sit in the room where his throne is and where his feet walk. That's what God wants to do. Now listen to Nehemiah. Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall. He became angry, greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates. So this guy is not only ridiculing the Jews, he's making sure his associates all hear him ridiculing the leader. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from a heap of rubble, buried as they are? This is the ruins. Will they rebuild the ruins? Feeble Jews. This is Satan talking, by the way. Not just a man named Sanballat. It's Satan saying those feeble Christians. Weak Christians. Why are these, why does it call them weak? Because every time you give them a little fight, quit. Oh, I'm going through so much. I just can't focus on God right now. That's saying, how long will you do that? How long will you do that? We got to rise up. The enemy is waiting for us to quit. And God's saying, no, focus. Not time to quit. It's time to focus. It's time to take the authority that you have to win. And it says, Sanballat. So can they bring the stones to life? Uh, some of your versions say revive the stones. Tobiah the Ammonite was at his side and he said, what are they building? Even a fox could climb up and break it down their wall. 
Does it make you angry? See, this is what the enemy thinks about your protection around your family. This is what the enemy thinks about your protection around your church because he knows the presence of God is not in that place. When the presence of God is there, it's a fortress, the Bible says. It's a citadel, the Bible says. It's a great and strong tower, the Bible says. But the enemy says they don't have any power. They get a hang now, they'll give up on God. You watch them. And it says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Ever felt despised? I felt despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in this land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from their sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. You don't do that. Oh, finally we got somebody with a little spine. I like what I'm seeing here. So we rebuilt the wall. We weren't afraid like our past generations. All of it reached half its height, and the people worked with all of their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard the repairs to the wall of Jerusalem, they went ahead, had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed. All the gaps are being closed now. They were angry. It says when they found out, they were angry. What do you think is going to happen when the enemy sees that we're closing the gaps and closing the ranks and God's beginning to do something and he can't touch us? What's the enemy going to do when he realizes that the... You ever seen the movie, uh, what's it called, Ants? Where the grasshoppers are all, you know, have authority over them and they're like, well, why don't the ants just bind together? And there's a lot more of them than there are the grasshoppers and... God's people are kind of like that, aren't they? They never rise up and overthrow their taskmaster. They just say, well, the enemy attack, we can't win. These people win. It says, the gaps were being closed. The enemy was angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. They're still fighting against Jerusalem. They stirred up trouble against it. But we, see that, but we, very important. We prayed to our God. We posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is much rubble, and we cannot rebuild this wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them, and we will put an end to their work. Do you see how bad the enemy wants to destroy this work? The enemy doesn't want this to stand. I know I'm probably really late. I haven't looked yet. It says... Then the Jews who lived near them came and told them ten times over, when you turn your back on them, they will attack you. Let me know that. As soon as you turn your back, in fact, sometimes in church it happens. I turn my back, and the enemy's attacking. Turn my back this way, back that way. You go to work, it's going to happen. Turn my back, enemy's already preparing another attack. I'm not scared. Lord's on my side. Praise the Lord. It says, therefore, what's the there, therefore? Because they were attacked when I turned my back. It says, therefore, I stationed people behind the lowest points of the wall where the exposed places were. 
I posted them by families. I posted them with swords, spears, and bowls. I looked things over. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Finally, we got some backbone. Don't be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome and fights for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When your enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each one to our own work. From that day on, half the men did work. The other half were equipped with spears, shields, and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, and they held a weapon in their other hand. <laughs> hey, we're called to have an armor on. We're called to protect this work. We're, ta- we're called to spiritually have a weapon in one hand and the work of the other hand. We're on guard at all times. When something comes in here that breaks the peace, something comes in here breaks the unity, and, and, and the enemy's not going to come in as a little devilish imp. Okay, the enemy is going to come in, it says, that it's principalities in high places, and our battle is not flesh and blood, but the principalities work through flesh and blood. So we've got to be careful, we've got to be cautious, we've got to do the work, and we've also got to be equipped to say nothing's going to stop what we're doing. And it says, And each of the builders wore his sword on his side as he worked, but the men... Uh, if they would sound the trumpet, um, men who sound the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive, and it's spread way out, and we're widely separated from each other. Whenever you hear the sound of the, the alarm trumpet, uh, join us there. God will fight for us. So that was their way of communication. When you hear that sound, wherever the enemy is attacking, concentrate our forces there, and let's beat them. Let's win. Let's back each other up. I got your back. You got my back. Let's build this wall. Let's build this place for God. So we continued the work. Half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars come out. That time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards at night and workers by day. Therefore, I nor my brothers nor my men nor my guards uh, with me, took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went to get a drink of water. On guard. So I've got a little quick list here. And how, what time is it? Oh, wow, 12.20? Real quick, here's the characteristics they had. Strong will. They all said we'll rebuild, and they knew it was God's timing. Number two, they were submissive. They wanted love and stability, and they aspired to make leadership look good. You want love and stability, support your leaders. Say, but I don't like you. Then you're not supporting the leader. Simple as that. It says they wanted guidelines. They wanted to be brought to freedom and protection. They never blamed each other in hard times. They supported their leadership even when they were falsely accused. They were diligent and faithful. They didn't lose sight of the past or the future. Large building projects are lengthy and costly. Lengthy because it's hard to see the result of what you're making. Costly because unless you decide to give it your all to build it, you will not finish. The people had to be told by the prophets to quit using the temple supplies to build their own lives and houses. 
They had tenacity. They would never give up. They stuck to the vision and did not let circumstances dictate their actions. Human nature uh, wants to quit when it gets tough. They were not distracted. The Samaritans, the country people, all their enemies tried to distract them. Um, they distract them with false reports, assassination attempts, intimidation, and temptation. They would not be distracted. They had patience to wait on the Lord. They were faithful when it seemed like nothing was happening. They had vision. Their desire to do something is not going to move you unless the vision marries desire. When vision and desire marry, you will accomplish it. Worship team. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Stand to your feet if you would. Heavenly Father, Lord, I um, I know this message, Lord God, is um, hard. But God, we also hear your call, Lord God. It's not for the weak, Lord God. It's for those who are strong in you and only you, Lord. You're the only one able to accomplish what it is that you put in our hearts, Lord. Your Spirit upon us, Lord God, is able. We are not. Lord, I pray that You move for Your glory in this place, Lord God. Do mighty things, Lord God. Father, build the desire in us that we can't build ourselves, Lord. Build the hunger in us, Lord God, that we can't build on ourselves, Lord God. Oh, Father, a hunger, Lord, for Your presence, a hunger for Your glory. Father, do mighty, mighty things, Lord God. Lead, guide each family, Lord God. Oh, touch this church in your name, I pray. I want you to know today, this message isn't just for Wellspring. How many know that we're just a part of the wall? There is a church all over this world. And Elijah said, I'm the only one. And God said, you're not the only one. But how many know we are a part of the wall And we need to be faithful on our section. Our section is right here in Henderson, Evansville. That's our section of the wall. And God is calling each of these families to their wall. And He's saying, be faithful where you're at. If you'll be faithful where you're at and have faith that they're being faithful on the other parts of this wall... The great thing about this temple was it wasn't as beautiful as Solomon's, but it says over and over, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the glory of this temple, I tell you, will be greater than the temple that Solomon built. The reason why is because the king would show up in that temple. Jesus arrived in that temple and announced, I am him. You say, well, what's that mean to us? The temple that we're building, the temple that we're protecting, the temple that we love to spend time in God's presence. The king is about to return to that temple, and that temple is your heart. And if you're not full of the oil of the Holy Spirit, you're not even going to see him walk through the door. People in that day that weren't right with God, they didn't even know that he was a Messiah. They didn't even know that he came. They didn't even know that he left. And if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, God told me the other night, He's going to fill us with the Holy Spirit and He's going to give us an unlimited supply. If anybody, whoever will, that's faithful, walk into this house, He'll give us an unlimited supply and we can fill up every lamb that wants to be full. But we got to seek the presence of God. we got to be ready for this King of glory. Because He's coming real soon, church. He's coming really soon.
we got to be ready. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I'll say a word of prayer. You're welcome to stay in worship. If you need prayer for anything, something's not right in your life, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord, maybe you have something going on in your life, we're here to watch your back. We're here to pray with you and help you when the enemy attacks. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, bless your people as they go, Lord God. Father, I just pray. Lord, we already sense, Lord, your increasing desire for you, Lord. Lord, your people are falling passionately in love with you, Lord. Lord, the desire for your presence is growing, Lord. It's growing, Lord God. It's not our work, though, Lord. It's yours. Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence. We love your presence. We love your people, Lord. Lord, bless them as they go, Lord God. Put your hand upon them and bless their lives, Lord God, as they seek you. Pour blessings abundantly upon their life, Lord, and their homes, Lord. In your name I pray. Everybody said, Amen.